The entire team at Emsolation want to acknowledge that we are gathered on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We want to recognise that we are recording and telling our stories on the stolen land of our country's first storytellers. We wish to pay our respects to all Wurundjeri elders and ancestors and to extend that respect to any First Nations peoples who listen to Emsolation. We recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's continued connection to the land and waters of this country and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. I'm in Perry Perry, like I'm Perry Perry Chicken, I'm Nando's, no! And Michael Lucas. You've been like an egg that's being boiled with little chips in it everywhere and all the egg whites and the yolks are spilling out. Oh. This is Emsolation. Perhaps I'll get it on tape for Elio. He's going to be raised by a menopausal mother. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. <laughs> Well, hello there and welcome to Emsolation. My name is Em Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain and a podcaster. And together with my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter Michael Lucas, I bring you this podcast every Thursday. How are you? Happy Barbie the movie release week. Oh, yeah. As a lot of you know, I was lucky enough to attend an advanced screening on Monday night and this episode contains my heartfelt review, spoiler free, totally and utterly spoiler free, don't worry, you don't have to skip through anything, I wouldn't do that to you. But we did devote a lot of time because it made me feel so many different types of ways. I didn't realise just how deeply connected I was to that entire franchise. So... Get ready. (laughs) I do not hold back. We also discuss the actors and writers strike that's going on in the States at the moment because Michael and I are in that world and we kind of understand why it's happening and how important it is. But I felt the general public's attitude may be why are all these rich and famous people complaining about being rich and famous? But it's so much more than that. And finally, I got some pretty full-on news around my hormones from my team. Uh, um, yeah, I have not been okay. I know I've been talking, I've been sprinkling the rage feelings, but I've really been downplaying it for you all. Some of you may have looked into my eyes and seen the kindred spirit and understood, but I finally took myself off to the doctors and had my hormones tested and the results were quite shocking. Like this sound effect was used. (laughs) So we talk about that. You have so much to just chew and digest and enjoy. Otherwise, The Marriage Diaries came out on Emsolation Extra, our reunion special. When we first launched Extra, obviously Scotty and I sat down to talk about all things long-term marriage and us. And there were so many questions from people who heard it and wanted follow-ups. They needed more info. So my husband and I sat down again this week. Part one has already gone out. You must be a subscriber and extra to get it. And part two will come out on Tuesday. And the interesting thing that we did finally admit and reveal was the real reason Scott was not at my National Press Club address. I have been protecting him. I have not been telling the truth. But 
he was happy to talk about and own and cop to the pretty shitty reason he was not in the audience when I did one of the most important things I've ever done. So that was a big deal. Our relationship has actually improved from doing these sessions. So maybe there's something in that. I don't know. Maybe I need to invite emsolators in in long-term relationships and just record them and sit there with no training and tell them what I think. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea, but it would make an amazing podcast, wouldn't it? So that's all there for you, but you must be a subscriber to Extra. If you are a subscriber, thank you. I'm very excited to let you know we have finally landed our first major sponsor. More details to come, but it's a big deal for this little company. But to everyone who subscribes, the $10 a month makes a massive difference to us. While it might be a small amount to you, I'm so grateful for you backing me in. This is this is a big risk and a huge dream to be able to make the stuff I want to make for the people who will actually love it, which is you. So if you want more information or you want to subscribe, I'd love to have you there. We need a few more thousand to keep this thing going. We're, we're well over halfway, but I just... I think maybe the marriage diaries, this one's, maybe it'll get some more of you across the line. You know, who knows? Go to msolation.supercast.com for more information. Okay, that's it from me. Have a wonderful weekend. I don't need to do that yet because I'm going to see you at the end. I just need to say, play the music. And Michael Lucas, this is Emsolation. Michael Lucas, live from Kensington. I have to get straight to it. I'm bursting. I've seen the Barbie movie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Barbie. You have. And then by the time this comes out, it's there's no embargo, right? You can speak your mind. And it has been oozing out the cracks of my soul, my opinions <laughs> on this movie. I, I, it's been so hard to abide by the embargo. You've been like an egg that's being boiled with little chips in it everywhere and all the egg whites and the yolks are spilling out. Oh, yeah, It's been hectic. What I'll start off by saying, I believe this will be one of the most divisive movies ever made in the history of cinema. I think it's going to cause an absolute shitstorm. I think it's going to be a really interesting litmus test for where we're at as a society. And I don't think people understand the magnitude of the impact this movie is going to have. I think people think, oh, it's just Barbie, whatever. No, 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 Michael Lucas. Yeah. My God. Okay. So here are my, I've written my thoughts down to collect myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First things first, to answer the big question, did Greta Gerwig pull it off? Did she deliver a movie that would be all the things it needed to be to satisfy the many complexities surrounding the world yeah. of Barbie while simultaneously not completely shitting on the brand beloved by millions? Yes, she absolutely did. She got away with that. Yeah. Not perfectly, but sometimes almost 
does count. So that's my first yep. vibe with you. So it truly, yep. as they yep. say, you can love Barbie and love this movie and hate Barbie and love this movie. Yes, you can. And I don't know, like, what kind of spell she cast over Warner Brothers and Mattel because, quite frankly, the script and some of the plot points are unhinged. I've heard this unhinged. a lot. <laughs> like, I suspect the spell might be partially connected to Margot Robbie. If you're in a board meeting and you're a suit and Margot Robbie comes in and assures you this is going to be great, it's really going to work, mm-hmm. you've just got to trust it, then, you know, that's pretty, who's going to say no? The spell was cast during lockdown when her and her husband were writing this movie. They were in discussions with Warner Brothers and Greta said to them, I think we felt so, you know, obviously literally isolated from other people. It, it, it felt like in a way... Um, you know, Margot has said, and I think, you know, what it's true of Warner Brothers. I, I mean, everybody who read it had this sense of like, no one will ever let us make this. So they wrote a film as though it would never see the light of day. Mm. They, tr- You can tell they truly just put every fantastical, ridiculous thing in there. All of the ideas went in. And because it was written in lockdown, because it was received by studio executives who weren't making films because it was received in lockdown, it got across the fucking line. It truly did. And everything is in there. And I just think that Greta Gerwig should be feared and admired in equal measure as to what she has got across the line because a good portion of the film shits on Mattel and Mattel had to sign off on this movie. Literally, Will Ferrell is sending up the CEO. This man exists. Yeah. And he was like, yep. Just go for it. That's fine. Look, we'd prefer you didn't do it, but you can do it. I think I think that's incredible, mm. first of all. Mm. Um, so as I've said, it will be the most divisive film this year and I felt divided watching it and I'm a hardcore Barbie fan because, look, it plays the gender roles in a really beautiful way. It really challenges masculinity and it questions and critiques all our societal systems. It makes fun of the patriarchy in a weirdly kind of loving way. Yeah. And despite kind of, I noticed in a lot of interviews, people were asking Margot Robbie point blank, is this a feminist movie? I think some people hear the word feminist and means that doesn't mean men. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it anyone, does mean men. Anyone who believes men and women should be equal is it's feminist. Just, that's, so, it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> so, that simple. But I think some people hear the word feminist and, like, associate a lot of negative baggage. It is a feminist, woke Barbie movie. Yeah. There is – do not mistake this for being anything other than that. And it also had a cinema full of women my age in tears at one point because – what's her name? Ugly Betty. America Ferrara. She gives this speech that somehow manages to encapsulate the singular experience of the AFAB and female community in that we're destined to fail because we're playing by rules that were set up for us to fail. And it's this incredible speech that should be kind of twee and too much, but I looked around the cinema and there was just shiny-eyed women of my age just going, oh, my God, yes. So she got that. There's three acts, Michael. There is three acts to this film. The first act is incredible. It opens with Lizzo narrating via song. We get to understand the lay of Barbie land. It's just this amazing, it's like the first time you see colour in The Wizard of Oz. It's so beautifully done. 
Oh my god! Everything I was—I was taking it all in. I was so overstimulated. It's like they—they they, the attention to detail and the costuming and the camp. Oh, the camp! It's just oh my god! And the Kens—you know—they're all in Legion, but they're all separate. But they're all one. And oh god! And is it just... kind of like—is it kind of like Barbie Land as it might exist in a in a young person's mind? Like, is that—that's the vibe I get from the thing. Like how they don't know what sex is, and every night's mm-hmm. a blowout party, and. They, to drive a car, they just need to be put in the car seat and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then Act 2, it heads into Barbie's existential crisis era where she starts thinking about death and she goes to visit the real world. And this is where the film lost me for a good half an hour. Right. It was really dense. They were trying to achieve all the little – it was like they locked a bunch of feminists and straight white guys in a room and asked them what they loved and hated about Barbie, got the answers – inserted them into the script in real time just so they could kind of like deflect any criticism that would come from those groups. Uh, and so what she faces, yeah. the, the Barbie as in Margot Robbie in the real world faces the kind of criticism that we would lob at the actual toy Barbie. Yes, yes. And she faces it via America Ferreira's character's tween daughter who is a staunch feminist and, you know, asks a bunch of questions of Barbie and how she's so problematic and how she's caused all these problems for all these girls and it's unrealistic beauty standards and delivers this monologue as a 13-year-old. And it was a bit like, oh, okay. And so for me, that portion of the film is where kids aren't going to enjoy it. You're mm. going to lose anyone under really the age of 16 in the middle part portion of the film. And we're taken out of fantasy. But the third act, holy hell, the third act, we go back to Barbie land and honestly it's the best thing I've ever seen in any movie for such a long time. If Ryan Gosling doesn't win an Oscar, we riot because Ken stole the film. Fuck you, Barbie. Yeah. You know surfer's not even my job. I know. And it is not lifeguard, which is a common misconception. Very common. Yeah, because actually my job, it's just beach. Hey, Barbie. Yeah. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Honestly, he, it, it is Ken's film. Mm. It is Margot Robbie is Barbie. Lovely. Mm. Great. Mm. But fucking hell. And there's like a singing in the rain, Grease, Xanadu, Vincent Minnelli style musical number that Ken does with all the other Kens. I was crying with joy. Uh-huh. I can't. When you see it, you'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe she didn't like wet her pants. <laughs> can't believe it she was just so didn't good. shit herself. Correct. In, in the, in the Rivoli cinema. I wanted to shit myself. It was so good. So the third act saves the film. And special shout out to Weird Barbie, Kate McKinnon. Hi, I'm Weird Barbie. I am in the splits. I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh my God, I had a Weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. From Saturday Night Live, my third favourite character, incredible, like, almost. And so is that the kind of Barbie that someone's chopped its hair all weird and drawn on it and stuff like that? 
we all had a Barbie where we just went a bit hard. Yeah. <laughs> we, mel- we melted their feet above the candle. We sh- chopped the sides of their head off, gave them a mohawk. We used textures for makeup. Yeah. That cursed Barbie is <laughs> And she's always in the splits because she's always the one bent up. So Kate McKinnon's character is constantly in the splits. But she's also this kind of Willy Wonka style, Dumbledore, devil may care kind of guide for Barbie. <laughs> And it's perfect. It's so good. I think that Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie got as close as anyone could ever humanly get to making the movie that needed to be made. I just don't think it can be achieved. It's too complex. It's too layered. But I think they almost did it. Nothing you're saying is making me any less desperate to see it just because it sounds fascinating. And also, God, to finally watch a big commercial movie that, that takes too many risks and is too ambitious and is... Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get that from Ant-Man 3. No. Oh, God, that was so bad. I watched that over the weekend. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen, Ant-Man 3. Mm. They were all high. I don't know what happened, but back to Barbie. So ultimately I just think they got really bloody close to what we wanted and that's enough. Yeah. So I'm giving a four out of five. Go and see it. Don't take your kids. Don't take your kids. It's just for you. It's for us. I mean, take your kids if they're Barbie mad and they're over the age of 12. Mm. Wait till it comes out for anyone younger because you won't enjoy it. Mm. It is squarely for those of us. It was made for middle-aged women. I'm telling you, when you see it, you'll understand. But also take your boys to see it. Dudes need to see this because the masculinity exploration is glorious. (laughs) And in the end, it is Ken's movie. It really is. So kind of in a weird way while they're fighting the patriarchy, the patriarchy actually win in this instance because all I can think about is the straight white guy. Well, straight's questionable. Go and see it. It's marvellous. The the kind of risk-taking and the shit that the Warner Brothers agree to, I just don't think we'll ever see again. Oh, I'm desperate. I'm so desperate to see it. (laughs) That You've made me more excited. Well, you know, I just wanted to do... I really wanted to do it justice. I'm obsessed with Greta Gerwig. I'm obsessed with her. Her three films are so different. Lady Bird I loved, Little Women I loved, and now Barbie. What? What is next? What an artist. She's fucking nailed it, man. And fearless. And also just smart. She's so smart. You can feel it just kind of dripping off everything. The only thing is I will say, and you'll feel it too, it's just it's too self-aware. Only real massive criticism I have is, it is aware that it needs to be everything to everyone. It's it's it tries very hard. Yeah. Which in a way I understand and I relate. It's yes, <laughs> yeah, speaks to you. It did. But definitely go and see it. It's all the hype around it is totally deserved. And I'm so pleased that it lived up to I was so skeptical and it, it and it got so fucking close that I'm 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 letting it through. Like it's getting the <laughs> goal. Definitely. I'll see you on the Malibu beach. Now, obviously, dominating the news is the actors and writers' strike happening. Yeah, it's really fascinating times. I've obviously there's been a writers' strike in my lifetime before, back in 2008, I think it was. Um, but mm. yeah, the last time that the writers and actors were out at the same time was back when Ronald Reagan was the Screen Actors Guild president, which is wild. Now, I really would like you to break it down for Emsolation listeners because for us, we're in the world we understand why the strike needs to happen. Nothing has changed, even though streaming has come into play. All the old rules still apply Mm. and they need to be updated. Streamers need to be more transparent with their numbers. 
But I kind of got the general idea that if people weren't in our world, it looks like a bunch of entitled people who are already wealthy are complaining because obviously we're seeing the Matt Damons or the Jason Sudeikis's, you know, we're seeing all the high profile people protesting in solidarity. But can you explain exactly what's going on and why it's a rightful strike? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you actually covered a lot of it there. But, I mean, the first thing to acknowledge is, of course, that, yes, we are all familiar with the famous and, in many cases, multimillionaire actors that absolutely exist, of course, like Jennifer Lawrence, like Margot Robbie, that have all spoken out, like Meryl Streep, who put her name to the letter. Mm. But, you know, there are 110,000 actors on strike, and I'm sure within that there may be even a couple of hundred that are in that sort of millionaire status. Kind of, in some ways, I would say, like in any industry, the absolute pinnacle of the peak of the top, you know, you could be in the legal world and, and you know, a top lawyer might be on huge amounts and then you have your suburban lawyer or whatever. But in, but in I would say in the profession of acting, there's particularly vast wealth chasms, but the people that we're talking about, those famous people are like literally the top 2% at most. And then the vast majority are, you know, jobbing actors that have very little, no job security and have to sort of scrape by and are not earning very much. So, yeah, it's a weird thing because overall it is not a highly paid profession for the average person. It's just that we're super familiar with the really famous rich ones. And then basically what you said about the rules having changed, as everyone knows, the way that we've watched TV and consumed TV has completely undergone a revolution in the past like decade with streaming. And they haven't updated any of the contracts. All the contracts were designed for when TV went out to um, just on broadcast and there would be all this income that would come in. Like We all remember like it used to go out on broadcast with ads and then they'd release a DVD and then maybe a cable channel would pick it up and they would just send revenue back to the people that actually made it. But streaming's turned it all on its head. Now there's no, there's none of those windows. It's just it goes on streaming around the whole world often and just stays there forever. But they haven't updated the contracts. The contracts are all still like it used to be, like we're living in the past. And there's one reason why they haven't updated the contracts, because they can get away with paying the talent a lot less. And so basically what they're asking for is, motherfuckers, (laughs) these contracts (laughs) were designed for a different world. It's like we've got contracts that relate back to before electricity was invented or something like that. We need to have contracts to reflect how television is made and how it actually works these days. And it can't be contracts that say that, oh, you'll get your money when it sells on DVD and sells to cable because that just doesn't happen anymore. We all know it goes out all at once. And I suppose the only other thing I would say is even if you think that, you know, acting and writing are these privileged careers, it's just about where does the money go? (laughs) Should it go to the people at all that make the product? Because I'll tell you where it's going now, into the pockets of all the executives. (laughs) The CEO of Netflix makes $53 million a year. Yes, yes. And the CEO of Disney is on like 27 or something like that. They pay their executives an enormous amount. And it's and it's just back in the day, like back in the 90s and the 2000s and everything like that, you had as someone that was involved in making the show, if you were an actor or writer that was lucky enough to be on a hit show, you would get to share in that success. Now it doesn't matter. Like if you're making a show for Netflix, you could make, Squid Game, or you could make something that doesn't get seen by much. It makes no difference to you. <laughs> All the revenue and everything like that is just going to go to the executives. And it's just like, again, exacerbates the 
wealth disparity. And it just leads to a situation where for those jobbing actors and writers, it's now with like inflation and everything like that, like they can't survive. Like they're obviously all having to take on other jobs. I mean, that's always been the case. They're working as waiters or they're dog walkers Mm. or they're, but now it's gotten so severe that it's just impossible to keep maintaining a career. It's just not sustainable anymore. So basically they need the contracts updated and it's absolute bullshit that all these streaming services and studios are saying, oh, we can't afford to right now and we, you know. And Such yeah. Bullshit. anyway, so that would be my summation of it basically. So you've bought a good for her. Let me play the theme because you have a very special uh, related to the strike good for her. Yeah. Good for her. 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 Fran Drescher, a.k.a. the nanny, has entered the chat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the person at the centre of one of the most iconic television theme songs of all time. Even all these years later, it's still, she was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens. Oh, so good. Classic. And, I mean, I still base my personal style on a combination of Grandma Yetta and Fran. Like, <laughs> let's just, we all know this. That show is so important. But she was, she's just so fundamentally the nanny. That's, that's just it. And then all of a sudden this week she's just appeared everywhere because a lot of people didn't know that she's, was she the president of SAG? Which is the union and she has been for a while. And so typically, you know, you see that person when things are going fine, you see them in the context of they have the SAG awards and she'll come out and do a little Mm. speech. And it just sort of feels, um, so to be honest, and this probably speaks to a whole lot of me dismissing her misogyny. I don't, to be honest, I thought, I think it would probably be a bit more of a ceremonial thing. Like Mm. I don't know how much of an active union leader she really is. This was the moment. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it. Oh, speaking off the cuff, no teleprompter, just, and I love the way it starts it's sort of like a four and then goes to a 15. <laughs> like she just got so much more into it and it ricocheted around the world so quickly. And, of course, the, we should just point out the writers have been on strike for like 70 days at this point and attention is really drifting away. No one was caring and there were these horrible comments from the studio executives going, we're just going to wait till they lose all their homes and then they'll oh have gosh. to give in. And so to have Fran Drescher come in and land a moment, because we all know these sort of movements need a moment. They need like mm. someone mm. charismatic to come out and give the words. That, and um, God, she provided it. <laughs> and then I'm so thrilled for her because it's led to a reevaluation of her work. And people have been pointing out that it has always been buried there. And I don't remember this, but there was an episode of The Nanny that was all about unions mm-hmm. because Mr. Sheffield dragged the nanny across a picket line Mm -hmm. and caused, and then he got sort of cancelled. And I I had no idea about that. And then I do remember her movie Beautician and the Beast because I was working at Hoyt's Greensboro when that came out. And that's like she ends up being a beautician in this, like, for this dictator. Yeah, but the whole story is about she goes to his, like, citizens and tells them to unionise. Like, she has been out there (laughs) fighting the fight and we just haven't paid attention. That's a long game. I gotta tell you, we thought Camilla Parker Bowles had played the long game. Fran Drescher has actually been playing the long game.
It's Emsolation Extra. Haven't subscribed to Emsolation Extra yet? Here's what you missed out on this week. I think it's fair to say, and, I, and I'll cop to this absolutely, that you don't feel safe in expressing certain things because you're not confident that I'll be able to handle it because I have the rejection sensitivity issues because I'm sensitive in general. And also I have that that justice, you know, that trigger of right and wrong. Mm. And if I think something you're saying or doing in my mind is genuinely wrong, Mm. I find it very hard to let you have that space. Yeah, yeah. So you bring in your stuff onto it when I'm trying to sort of bring out my stuff, yeah. So there's mm. a bit of that for sure. Mm. And I can see that it's not, it's almost like it's it's a shyness or a fear of you stepping into a space of owning how you're feeling, mm. even if it's a, a negative, uncomfortable feeling. I can see you wavering because you don't feel confident in having a place to land with it. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I do remember times when I have tried to be honest with how our relationship is. And I'll say something that I, that I feel is honest and about me and my experience and I'll, and I'll see you and then I'll observe you in the next day or two and then you're you're like um retreated. Yeah, you it's 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 sort of um it's become your thing sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um like the other day Okay, yeah. we're giving specific examples. No, no, I'm no, just No, no, do it. No, no. I'm the, all for it. I got nothing to hide. When the other day yeah. I, when it was I I I said oh, I feel like our relationship what did I say? It's, it's, it's rubbish. No, no, I didn't say rubbish. Oh. It says no good. And so let's let's that was let's uh, but walk then back that, on this, that rattled, like that was me, but then that became your own thing then too. So that's that's an example. I'm not trying to no, no, point we should finger. give that comment context because it's a hectic comment. <laughs> We'd had a good few weeks and then you were flat and walking around just not yourself. And I'm hypersensitive to that stuff. You know, as we talked about before, if somebody's not at their best, I... You're on early warning detection. Totally. And I could sense that. And so I said to you, you know, just... And I asked you, just please tell me what's going on. And you said, you know, you've, you're feeling like... Well, a lot of 50-year-old blokes do. You're not really sure what's next and you're at this turning point in your life and you're a bit bored and our relationship's no good. And for me, because things had been better between us and because you and I had been working on things and I felt like you'd punched me in the stomach because I was putting in extra effort when in, before that I'd kind of given up mm. and I thought, I felt, well, there's no point. I'm already exhausted from the working and the home stuff and now I'm also trying to have date nights with you and I realised I'd taken on the bulk of the responsibility of improving our relationship, which often happens in relationships, and you still didn't feel like, you know, there'd been a change. And in that moment saying our relationship is no good, it was just like, Jesus, you know? So do you wish you had to set it another way or was it a blanket statement or did you just mean in general or? Because I don't think our relationship is no good. That's I, right. I think the fact that we're still here 20, nearly 23 years later would suggest it's got some pretty good bones. Yeah. So, for all of that and so much more, subscribe now at emsolation.supercast.com. It's Emsolation Extra. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsolation. You've been away and I've been letting you have a holiday from my monthly crises. I've just been really generous with you and 
I have completely gone off the rails hormonally over the past, I would say eight weeks. It's been very, very bad. And I genuinely have thought I was going to lose my mind. I briefly touched on it with Julia Morris and um, it really crescendoed to me slamming the wooden blinds at my house in my bedroom, my beautiful wooden blinds, so hard that I broke one of them. Wow. Fell off. Yeah. And so I made a, an appointment with my doctor, Dr. Jamie, and I went in and I said, I'm, I'm losing my mind. Can you please just run all the tests? Please run all the tests. So we did a r- bunch of tests and they came back today and I got a phone call and he said, you need to come in <gasps> right now. It's, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. I've got cancer. It's cancer. I said to him, it's cancer. Said, it's not cancer. Let's talk about the results. So I went straight into the doctors and we sat down and he said, look, you're pretty much in menopause. What? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm in peri-peri. Like, I'm peri-peri chicken. I'm Nando's. No. And he said, and he showed me my numbers because we've been kind of, we tracked them. My hormones were tested after I gave birth and then I tested them in February because, again, I was feeling a bit off. But my estrogen dropped from 500 to 45 since February. Like, wow. it's crazy. And he said to me, Normally when women land in menopause, it's a smooth landing, you know, over six years or so. You, you hit the runway about 50, 51. But he said you're crashing <laughs> down at a vertical angle <laughs> into the side of a cliff. So we gotta oh we gotta God. steer the ship. We gotta yeah. So I'm like, well, what, what do I do? Because Jamie, my doctor's always said to me, Point blank, I'm not looking forward to menopause for you. Like we've just always joked about it. Mm. And well, your 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 monthly cycle has enormous impacts on you in <laughs> mind, body, and soul. It has done yeah. since your youth. But I'm still getting my period, so this is the weird thing. Oh, the worst of all worlds. Yeah, I'm still getting the thing that's supposed to stop. So it's this strange combination of low bad hormones but still getting my period i'm not getting the payoff of any of it so he's sent me off to an endocrinologist which is like a hormone specialist oh, yeah. and i have to tell you i have to go see a specialist because there is no studies around adhd medication and hormone replacement therapy <gasps> i need to go on yeah, oh you're the guinea pig it's gonna shock you it's gonna shock you i'm sure people have tried it mm. but no one has bothered to actually nowhere you can't find it anywhere there's anecdotal stuff right because men don't need hormone replacement therapy why would we study it every why so i said can you just give me a patch i'm like i was like a druggie i'm like just give me the fucking patch just give me my patch and he's like it's an estrogen patch right you whack it on and it helps your levels stabilize Mm. it's a patch michael and he's like no you're on medication we need to so I ring, the, I ring the, the specialist today and I get a woman who sounded like Patty and or Selma from The Simpsons, right? She's she's who you want. Yeah, totally who you want. And she's like, hello. And I said, oh, hello, I need to make an appointment to see, insert doctor's name. And she's like, okay, well, there's a, a very long waiting list. Uh, what's, it, what's it about, Joel? And I said, um... Look, I'm 44 and I'm facing down the barrel of early menopause and and, and, I've, and I'm the rage. I'm not sleeping. I'm so hot. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear. All right, hang on, give me a tick. I'm, give me a tick, give me a tick. She's like, I'm looking at the waiting list. 
I'm going to put you on the waiting list. I'm going to put you in for September, but I'm going to put you on the waiting list. I said, okay. So I gave her all my details. I said, thank you so much. I just, I'm really at my wit's end. She's like, okay. One minute later, she phones me back. She goes, hello, Amelia, it's Jenny. I love, well, that's, that's freaky that it's your mother's name, but continue. Yeah. I said, hello, Jenny. She said, doll, I've got you in next Wednesday or I've moved some things around. I'm like, (laughs) I burst into tears on the phone. She was Madge. She was Selma. She was Patty. She was like everything you would want. And she's like, I'll be there on the day. I'll see you there. And don't worry. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll get on top of this. And I was like, this woman, this woman, Jenny. Fucking. There are guardian angels in this world. Good for her. If I had not have, <laughs> if I had have landed on some Gen Z Recepo just doing her job who didn't understand, Jenny's a veteran. Jenny's gone through this war. I could hear it in her voice. She's, She's had people cry, not crying on the line to her and in person. Can you imagine yeah. the situation of a centre that specialises in women with perimenopause? Can you imagine? They don't, they don't have electricity. <laughs> they just run off of the energy, off of the white-hot rage that radiates off their patients. They just suck that and that's how they power everything at that place. I am... So excited to just sit there and just be with my people. I just feel like (laughs) it must feel like men who go to wrestling and sitting in the audience with other men who love wrestling. It must feel like that. I just think I'm going to sit down and see a woman and know her anger intimately. Yes. But then I also, Michael, feel really weird saying out loud that I have menopause near me. I feel... My internalised misogyny, I feel I'm bristling at even having this conversation with you on the podcast. Yes, well, because it's just, I mean, the weird thing is it's like menopause has no cultural footprint because we don't talk about it because it's just you dismissed. That's it, stamped, over, done, get out. You can't bear us children. Gone. Forget. Just just wander away, dye your hair blue, and uh, (laughs) maybe you you can still bake for the CWA if that is helpful for you. But also, boomer women... Those mm. motherfuckers. Why they didn't they? Yeah, I know. Why didn't they? They stuff. should have been the trailblazers, really. They don't talk about health, full stop. I will hear about some catastrophic health event three weeks after it's happened to my parents. They just don't, we just don't talk about it. Yeah, about I mean, I do understand all. if you put your little lily skin children out it, without any sunscreen racing around for about <laughs> six years there, I'd be saying mum on the health too. If you smoked, you didn't use seatbelts. <laughs> it's Health isn't, why bring it up? At this point. And I feel like the Gen Xers and and me, I'm an Xennial, we're now walking into perimenopause, menopause, hell going, looking around at each other going, what the fuckity fucking fuck is going on and why did our mothers not tell us? Yeah. This is bullshit. Do you know the tragic thing in the tragic irony in this? There is one exception who is here at Kensington with me right now. Joe Lucas, when I was 12 years old, gave me a copy of Jermaine Greer's The Change and said, I want you to read this. I want you to talk about it so that you can understand what I'm going through. How ironic that I had that and you didn't have it. I mean. And this was like, we're talking early 90s that was happening. I love your mum. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Perhaps I'll get it on tape for Elio. Just start indoctrinating him now, bugger. He's going to be raised by a menopausal mother. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You will listen to everything this woman says about menopause and nothing that she says about trans politics. But I, 
I know that there are a lot of women out there now talking about menopause and I know that I am not Robinson Crusoe here being bringing it up. I'm not saying that. I haven't meaningfully engaged with any menopause talk because I turn off when I hear it. I'm like, ugh, no. Like, that is absolutely not happening. I need to understand now and I and I just... I even just want to edit this out of the podcast now looking back on it because I feel I feel ashamed that my body is now no longer considered young by the patriarchy and when I say it out loud it's gross but I it's just something I've been conditioned to believe since I could breathe you know mm, totally yeah that a woman's I, value yeah is completely all bound up in her oh, fertility yeah. and her I mean, and it is a life yes. moment as well. Of course it is. I mean, you are, you know, there is a, there was a universe where you would have had eight children. There was a universe where we would have had a baby. None of those things are probably likely to happen at this point. Oh, no, but you can't. But one would it. say you have mothered for Australia <laughs> you, and, and Italy. <laughs> you've really, you've taken your fertility and you've really done a lot with it. You have. But. Should I grab one of my cracked and withered eggs? Like, you know the scene in Nemo where the <laughs> wife gets eaten yes. and all of the eggs are gone except for the one little broken egg? Yeah. I feel like do we grab our Nemo, pop it on ice, just in case in the future we find a womb to put it in for you and Adrian? I mean, I'll have to run it by Scott, but I worry. that <laughs> We come back and we go, Scott, we've bought you two things. The program of Funny Girl and also some news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I just want to say, Michael, I wish you luck. <laughs> Brace yourself. On the I know. Well, look, I mean, I think we do need more information. As someone who is about to encounter this historically hot summer <laughs> with you in a foreign, very overstimulated country, in a crazy city. Without the guiding light of Mother Madonna as we thought we would have. Someone who also has never talked about menopause. Never. Didn't even, no. Did she even go through it? Who knows? Probably not. I don't know. Probably not. But look, I'm fine. Uh, This ADHD, autistic, mother of three, highly anxious, daughter of an immigrant, type A, eldest personality, uh, uh, eldest daughter, going through menopause. I mean, fine. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? That just sounds so chill. Doesn't it? <laughs> At least you've got the bedrock of you haven't taken any professional risks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's quite Fuck. the triple decker. Yes. But we all know, like, you go flaps to the wall with every stage of life. Think of your teen years. Think of your twin. Oh, my flaps won't stick to the wall now. They're too dry. <laughs> well, that's, that's just they won't leave residue on the wall. <laughs> no, I don't have dry vagina. I don't. That's what I always associate with menopause. As yeah, soon as it's I the cliche. Hear, like, that, there we woman, go. You're already educating yeah. people. That was always a turn off for me. Like if I would hear a woman talk about her dry vagina, I'd be like, oh, no, sorry. No, thank you. Yeah. So, no, that's not. I mean, I'm all the M Slaters, I'm so glad you're up to date with the state of what's happening in my vagina right now. But um, Me too. Yeah. I also, <laughs> I love that you're like, I, I hope you realise I've been sparing you my monthly term also. I just imagine the alternate universe where I get texts in the night. I'm like, I'm sorry, Adrian. <laughs> M is having a period again and I have to go. I have to speak. We might have to fly oh, home. Bitch, when you are back in the country and we are on the same <clears throat> timeline, you're fucked. Like, 
I'm saving it up. I'm saving you it up. You know, one of the interesting things is, um, weirdly, I, as you can imagine, was, except for my mother, kind of protected from knowing because of the patriarchy when women were on their periods. Now in film and TV production, it is becoming a lot more common for um, people to be a lot more open about it for practical reasons, mm. particularly like cast, frankly. Um, like mm. if you're dealing with terrible pain, it's something mm. that discreetly the director and everyone should be aware of. And when that started happening, I was like, this is bananas that this has never been a factor. Let's just say if there was a male actor that was had a crippling headache or pain or hadn't slept or you you would know about it. You would really know about it. Even just no, but even just scenes where the actor is required to be in bathers or it's a sex scene, mm. you know, or or it's any any scene where it's tight clothes or anything like that. You don't there are women who have to my whole life has been about working around my period because it's so out of control, making sure things don't drop at a certain time or, you know, like. Oh, yeah. Fucked. Imagine being Margot Robbie, yeah. you've got a blowout period and you have to go do a Barbie dance party. I mean. Oh, I hope, no, nah, I would have had to have had my entire uterus removed. Like I would have made sure that she just couldn't. She spent so much of that movie in Just Undies. Like, <laughs> Em on her Barbie no... press tour. I honestly, I just, I got lots of facials. I had my uterus removed. <laughs> Gone. I would have actually had my vagine sewn up. I just would have had it just, <laughs> shut up shop. Because and if Scott complained, you would have been like, look, what's bringing in the money, bitch? <laughs> I've already said that twice this week. All right. Well, there we go. Thank you so much. Um, I'll chat to you soon. You will. Goodbye. All right. Bye. Don't destroy anything. Well, that's it, my darling Emsolators. I'm sure a lot of you are off to see the Barbie movie. Enjoy it. Savour it. Feel all the things. I'm not joking. There's a speech in there. As I wrote, if you, um, I actually wrote a review too, if you'd like to read it at my website. There's a speech in there when I looked around the cinema and saw the reaction. It's so great. I really loved it. I did. I truly just think so many of you are going to walk away, I don't know, just like I did, feeling a certain type of way. All the info you need will come to you in your inbox around the episode you just heard. Make sure you're a pen pal. Subscribe. Why not? And as always, our Instagram will have the visuals. It's Emsolation Podcast. Just search us on Instagram. Have a wonderful weekend ahead or week ahead, depending on when you're listening. And we'll chat soon. Bye. Like what you heard and want more? Emsolation is a totally independent neurodivergent female-led podcast which you can help support by subscribing to Emsolation Extra. Get exclusive bonus episodes every Tuesday. Question time with Em and Michael, pre-show meetings, videos of the podcast recording, pre-sale access to live events and discount merch, a weekly newsletter and so much more. Help us by subscribing now or gift a subscription to someone you love at emsolation.supercast.com or get the link via Emsolation socials. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is recorded at Down the Hill Studios. Hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Ezekiel Fenn. Socials by M. Rossiano, Benjamin Wosley and Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jem Evans and Georgia Watts. With videos by James Henderson. Follow us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast and join Join other emsolators at the Emsolation Group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. Please take the time to share this podcast with a friend.
give us a five-star rating and make sure you're following us on whatever podcast app you use by hitting the follow button. Thanks for listening and we can't wait to chat with you again soon. (laughs) 